Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we are talking 2023 win predictions. Uh, the show's going to be a little bit different today. We have a lot of smart people here, so I'm just going to do the intro, and then I'm going to throw it over to Krishna. But uh, we have Krishna. He obviously has the win predictions over at Basketball Index. Uh, we have Kostya Mevodovsky. He is the creator of Darko, and this uh, is his Darko win predictions. And we got Kevin Farrigan. Uh, you can find his work at nbacouchside.net and the Dennis Podman podcast. Uh, also his win predictions. So we got three experts, three sets of win predictions. We're going to be talking about all three of them, how they compare to Vegas odds. Krishna, the floor is yours. Uh, okay, I'll just uh, kind of kick it to Kevin to explain his new metric that um, has just been introduced in the last day. Yes, introduced is probably a little generous uh, for for what I've done with it so far. I haven't uh, shared any of the the values on a uh, from a from a year long basis, other than a a few projections for this coming year um, for like top thirties and total uh, offense and defense. Um, but and I don't have a name for it yet. Um, but uh, in in theory that in the in function uh it is fairly similar to um the metric that used to be uh housed on um b-ball index uh from jacob goldstein uh player impact plus minus um so it's uh like i said very similar in concept i borrowed a few concepts from uh from ben taylor uh he has a, a metric called um, augmented plus minus. So I uh, utilized a thing that he does in his augmented plus minus regression, um, which is called, uh, he calls it sum above, which is basically for players. Um, well, let me back up. I'll tell you, I'll tell you about sum above after I, after I start out with what I do with the, the plus minus data. So I pulled in the plus minus data from 1997 to uh 2022 from Stathead, uh, which is basketball references, paid service. Um, and I used uh, empirical Bayes to um, figure out basically very similar to a uh, method that uh, Kostya has uh, used a bunch of times, um, the padding method to stabilize um, the values, uh, sort, of, sort of like as a, a luck adjustment, you could say. Um, and I basically use that to create luck adjusted on data, luck adjusted off data for both offense and defense. Um, and so that's sort of like the core um, of the, the metric. Um, and then there's obviously um, the, there's obviously uh, like box score stats um, in a very similar way to, to PIPM. Um, which, and in fact, I, I use the same basic uh, inputs. Um, I re did my regression against um, the 26-year RAPM that uh, Jerry Engelman uh, released. So one uh, issue, I guess, with the metric uh, to a certain extent is that um, everything is in sample uh, on the regression. Um, which is to say, um, for people that are less familiar with regression speak, uh, one of the issues with 
things being all in sample is that you run the risk of um, overfitting your model on the uh, training data. Uh, the way that I got around that was I used um, a uh, 10 by 10 um, cross-validation. So what that means is I broke the data um, all like almost 14,000 uh, observations, player seasons. Uh, I broke that up into, or actually no, when you had to condense it into the the values, it was like 2,500 uh, player uh, values because you had um, uh, the, all of the player seasons condensed into values for that 26-year period. Um, so there were about 2,500 players-ish that played um, in the last 26 years that were in Jerry's uh, RAPM data set. Um, the 10 by 10 cross-validation basically means you chop the data up into uh, 10 different slices and um, you compare the values and get on the get to the, the values of the um, the coefficients that stabilize out of that. So that should eliminate overfitting issues uh, with with the metric. Um, it has about a uh, a out of sample. It should have about a like um, uh, 0.8 r squared to um, uh, to the long run RAPM which is just to say that it explains about 80% of RAPM. Um, and against a long run RAPM sample like that, uh, you know, that's pretty good. Um, and long run RAPM is very, very stable relative to single year uh, values. Um, and un you know, unsurprisingly, if you look at the list of players um, in Jerry's data set that are at the top, uh, it's all the names that you'd expect over the last 26 years. Uh, Michael Jordan's a little lower than you might expect, but it's because you're only getting the last two years of his Bulls uh, tenure, and then you're getting, um, you know, a couple of those Wizards seasons uh, where he was less good. Uh, but um, so that was kind of the the basis for it. Um, and then in terms of how I added in the, so I, I did a regression for the box component, and then I, like with PIPM, I did a separate regression that included the box, uh, the, essentially a, a box plus minus style metric that was um, the, basically the box score values um, as a component of a larger regression. Um, and in that larger regression, I had the on data, the, um, the team, overall team value, uh, and then uh, what I called the the sum above, which it, I don't call it that. Ben Taylor calls it that. But basically, uh, for players that played at least 25% uh, of the possessions for the team, um, what number of those have better on-off than the player that you're observing? Um, and you sum those values up and subtract out the individual player's value. And essentially what that does is uh, that some above component has a negative value uh, because if nobody on your team is better than you, then you get a, you get a, a zero. But if there are players that are 
on your team that are have a better on off than you, you get a a demerit for that. Um, so that's kind of like how it uh, is set up. It's a little technical, a little more technical than I wanted to be. It's very similar to PIPM, I guess, is the the best way to explain it, um, with a slightly different luck adjustment calculation, and um, you know a little bit of uh, difference in terms of how I'm uh, dealing with the the on-off component. I also um, at the individual like the um, for each individual season, I mean regress the components um, pretty heavily. I use Costius pat, uh, padding values for the box score stats for individual seasons um, to stabilize those. And then I also use um, for the, uh, the on-off components, I used padding values that minimize the error from between that value and the next year. And that basically shrank the values so that they were much more in line with the RAPM basis. Um, so nobody really has a season that's above a plus 10 I think the highest value in Jerry's data set is a plus 9.1 for LeBron. Um, and then the negative values similarly are not going to, you're not going to get like minus, you know, 30 or something like that for, uh, for a, a, a player who is on the, the negative side of things. Um, so it's pretty compressed and it, it's pretty, um, it, it aligns actually when I was just eyeballing it, it actually looks um, at least for last year, I, I didn't go back and look at all of the seasons on uh, Ryan Davis's sh uh, website, NBA Shot Charts, but it, it aligns pretty closely, um, but matches slightly better to the eye test uh, with luck-adjusted RAPM uh, in general, which makes sense because it has its luck-adjusted component, and it um, the reason it aligns better with the eye test is because of that box score component um, that a, even a um, a luck adjusted RAPM number for a single year is just going to have too much noise to, to be able to compete with. Um, so that's the metric. Um, and then in terms of applying that to season projections, um, I basically uh, looked at um, for uh, the prior three seasons, how, um, how, with an aging curve applied, how, you know, year one, year one, the year that you're in minus one, the year that you're in minus two, the year that you're in minus three, how those sort of project forward for that season. Um, not going to get into the the weights of those, but like obviously more recent data is better, um, unsurprisingly. Uh, and um, I did a, like a very basic rookie model just based on um, age, height position where you were drafted, um, that sort of thing. Uh, and it inc included that, um, it's, that model does not perform super well, but, um, you know, figuring out which rookies are going to be good is kind of a dart throw, <laughs> um, anyway. So a lot of people just use like a flat replacement level value for rookies. Um, I wanted to do a little bit more than that. So I did that, but, um, yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. What's the end? Uh, what's the intuition behind the sum above part? I, that, that, that confused me a little. Uh, so, I, you, I mean, I stole it from Ben. So <laughs> he uh, one, I believe Ben is very smart. Um, so that was that was intuition one. It does help uh, in the in the regression. Obviously, it was statistically significant, like out to 
you know, uh, uh, you know, when, you know, sure. in the, you get the three stars <laughs> in R, <laughs> maximally statistically significant. Uh, but the, the, the intuition I think is that it's, so if you are, if you have the best on off on your team that you, uh, should be rewarded for that or vice versa, you should be demerited in a, in a, um, regression against RAPM. Uh, so I think it's to help with the collinearity, basically, um, because if you're um, if you have a great on-off, but it's because you play with Stephen Curry, um, like for 50% of your minutes or or like 75% of your minutes, um, then you should uh, not necessarily get that that benefit. Now it runs into some problems, right? Like the, the, I think in 2016, Draymond has a slightly better on-off. Uh, luck adjusted on off than than Steph, and so um, he actually, but even though he's benefiting from playing with Steph, I mean you could also say that Steph benefits from playing with him because defense is a thing. Um, but uh, in most cases, it's going to help better sort out sure. um, who's driving uh, those that on off success. And I did that for both sides of um, offense and defense, because I did my regression for each for offense and defense um, separately. I didn't do an all in one number, which is another difference between uh, augmented plus minus and, and what I did, because uh, augmented plus minus is just like against a, a RAPM basis, uh, like a, a, an all in one kind of number. Gotcha. OK, so. Uh... I want to get it a bit into the wind projections, and I know Costia has done some work on how the preseason impacts uh, your projections. So, Costia, why don't you kind of talk about that? And um, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, you know, so I, I've talked about this on Twitter. This is something I've been doing a few years now. Um, of just the idea is, I look at how how teams performed in preseason. Uh, I look at both their their margin of victory, and I also create a little simple uh, simple rating system regression to opponent adjust. And I, I just look at you know, uh, at the team level initially, just like did you you know the the Rockets played at like a plus twenty level in preseason. We had them coming into the season, you know, based on like using Vegas as a prior. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Vegas prior, you would have projected them as like a minus six team. These are, I'm using margin of victory uh, per 100 possessions here. Um, you would have had them as a minus six team coming into the season. Uh, they played at plus 20 for four games in preseason. So you move their projection by some amount. Uh, that, that minus six, uh, some amount towards that minus 20. Um, and again, I, I'm just using the same padding method that, method that Kevin talked about to do this. And I, I used data going back to 2004 to, um, to model that. And it has a pretty big impact, I found. Um, it, teams move by you know, up to about two, uh, two points on their margin of victory, which is a, a pretty big deal, based, especially based on you know, like four games of preseason data, which I think a lot of people generally don't don't view as being super predictive. Um, I have a refrain that you people shouldn't, you shouldn't throw out data. Um, and then like I said, you should downweight data that you think is somehow less, uh, less important, but throwing out data entirely, it's like not a good idea. Don't throw out garbage time. There's no such thing as like total garbage time. All, all data is predictive. Um, 
and then uh, on your suggestion, Krishna, um, I was initially actually tossing out games against like non-NBA teams because uh, 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 like the Suns, I can't remember who the, who do the Suns lose to? The Adelaide 36ers. Yeah. Uh, so this year, uh, I did not toss those out, and I instead actually just treat all games against non-NBA teams as like a single dump, like a 31st uh, team uh, in the regression. Um, so it's just like a, it ends up being like a minus 30 quality team. Um, uh, and so I, I've tweeted, I tweeted those results out, um, and it gives it sort of an adjustment uh, relative to Vegas, how much you should... Uh, move a team's margin of victory um and then the other thing that i just did today um in this is in response to a bunch of questions of um you know whenever i tweet tweet out these results people say hey you know you shouldn't really look at preseason for the bucks because like Giannis and only played one preseason game or something um and these are this is a fair point there's like the these the people complaining about this are, are totally right. You know, every team's circumstances are different. Some teams try harder uh, or less hard in preseason. I think Kevin Pelton found a while back um, when he looked at preseason data that teams that, you know, I think won 55 games or, le- uh, or more the previous year, they, their preseason results were a lot less predictive. Um, and that all sort of matches intuitively. Like, well, they probably don't really care as much in preseason. Um, so what I did uh, today uh, to add add to the model is I also built uh, a Darko prior um, for each team and each game using the actual minutes that were played. Um, so, you know, if uh, Giannis didn't play in a, uh, in a game, you know, the Bucks would have sort of a lower expectation. And so the rather than being graded against a Vegas prior, which is set at the season level, teams are only graded against their Darko uh, prior based on the actual minutes played. And that uh, actually did not help the Bucks that much, but it, it does have a, a decent sized impact I'm, I'm pulling up. Um, so some teams, uh, I think I had the Blazers, for instance, um, as the fifth worst performing preseason team uh but actually if you look at the actual the actual lineups they used and compare it to the actual lineups they were playing against um their results were somehow even worse than that and they moved to sort of the the second worst uh they lose an additional sort of half point off their projection uh just based on the the specific players who are actually in those preseason games and uh, likewise, on the flip side, uh, the Kings uh, were the biggest, uh, sort of by far the biggest beneficiary. Um, where I had them at already coming in as the third best preseason improver, um, but they actually outperformed their their Darko projection by 16 points per game, uh, and so that moves their final number to about plus three off the preseason uh, projection. So. Uh, the Darko projections are going to end up very high on the Kings' results. We'll, we'll see if that if those results hold up. Uh, so yeah, getting into the uh, the win projections, which is kind of what everybody wanted to uh, come here to listen. Um, yeah. So what are your? Uh, I guess we'll just kind of talk about some of the different teams that we have that um, I think are more liked by some of the models versus. Uh, less liked and to me one of the teams that stuck out was the Warriors and Kevin's model 
Um, and both of our models at BBI plus minus were a lot lower. I know they were lower in Kevin Pelton's model too. Um, and so I'm just, and it looks like Darko is actually pretty high on them. So um, yeah, I guess uh, I'll kick it off to Kevin, or sorry, Kostya to kind of explain where he's, where, why the Warriors are a bit of an outlier there, I guess. Um. You know, I'll, I'll say uh, first off, you know, the Darko is actually still below the Vegas number. So I think I'll just the okay. stat, the stat consensus seems to be pretty low in them generally. Um, you know, so I, I don't I don't know exactly uh, why Darko is, I guess, a little closer to the Vegas number. A couple theories is one. Uh, they were a slight beneficiary from this uh, minutes adjustment uh, uh, in the pre the preseason data uh, that I looked at, they um, they gain about a half point in their projection uh, based on the particular lineups they played performed well. Um, and the the other guess I will have, uh, I'll throw out there, and I, I don't know if this holds up, is you know Darko is 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 fit on all data in the season and includes postseason data. And it weighs more recent data more heavily. Um, so, you know, the Warriors obviously won the title. Um, so they may just have some residual um, benefit from that versus a model that sort of fit over the course of the season and weighs a game from October the same as it does a game in April. Um, so there might be, yeah, in general, I would, I would expect the Darko projections are probably a little higher on teams that performed well down the stretch. Uh, Cause you know, that's just, that's the, just the nature of the recency updating, uh, the recency updating that's sort of the core of Darko. Yeah, I was just gonna say from, you know, Obviously, Kostya knows Darko much better than I do. <laughs> it's his baby. But uh, I think a key thing for you know what I did, I think uh, what a lot of the models do is like they look back three years, right? Like that's kind of uh, a fairly standard practice. I know that uh, Kevin Pelton used three-year RAPM, which is not even weighted uh, more heavily towards the recent seasons. It's it's uh, like he used that blended with um, I forget which uh, box score component he used, but maybe maybe his uh, Shaney um, system I think. Uh, but all that to say, the the Warriors sample from um, the most recent three season, regular seasons was not super great. Uh, you know, Draymond openly admits to the years where they had all those injuries that he wasn't really trying that hard. Um, and they, a lot of their guys are old, frankly. And so the aging curve is not kind to them when you pair, especially when you pair it with, uh, regular season data where they maybe weren't trying as hard. Um, and so, and I mean, I didn't even have a, th a, a negative hit in the model for like suffered an injury recently. Like, um, I mean, some of that is built into the data to a certain extent, right? Cause like clay, his most recent data um, in the last three years, he's played one season and he was recovering from uh, multiple devastating injuries while playing through it. Um, I would expect him to be better than he was last year. And that's really the only season that's considered in his data. Um, whereas something like Darko can, you know, it is, as Kasi just mentioned, 
including playoff data, which I did not do, which would be an upgrade uh, to any model, because uh, as Castillo was just saying, don't throw out data. Um, but uh, the other aspect is just that Castillo is inc basically including their entire careers um, in his sample of uh, you know the what goes into producing that one number for Darko, um, and uh, I'm not doing that. Right. Um, and uh, I don't I'll never do that because because it already exists. Dar uh, you know, if I Kosti already made Darko, so I don't need to do that. It already exists. And, uh, you know, um, our, our all of our mutual friend, uh, Nathan Walker, did something very similar with uh, a drip over um, at Stats Perform before he got hired uh, by an NBA team. Um, and so there are two of these models that exist to sort of incorporate all of the um, the prior history of a, of a player. Uh, and so, um, you know, this exercise for me is, you know, kind of just a fun nerdy thing that I do. Uh, but if I was going to use a single number to like actually have, uh, you know, purely stat-based opinions on, I'd probably just go with Darko, frankly, because... Uh, it incorporates the most information. Um, and uh, that's how you get um, the Warriors looking much closer to what Vegas thinks of them uh, in Darko than you know what you see in the uh, Kevin Pelton projections, in my projections, in Krishna's projections, which all kind of only consider the most recent three years and kind of toss everything else out. Um, and I'll only consider the regular season, uh, except for I did steal Kostya's preseason data <laughs> to, to slightly um, uh, update my my uh, wins predictions. But um, yeah, it's very kind. Now we're going to see the Warriors win 23 games and uh, pick up Scoot or someone. <laughs> Well, well, if if Steph goes down, I mean that's the thing with all of these projections. Is yeah. They yeah. they're all they're all great until they run up against you know health, which um, I think especially in some of these teams that are more in the middle uh, for a lot of the projections, it's like you know I have I have the the um, I think the the Cavs winning or not let's not use the Cavs. I have the Knicks winning like 44 games. And I have the the Bulls winning 41. So much of that is like down to who gets to play what minutes. If Lonzo Ball comes back early and he's he looks great, then the Bulls will probably outperform what the the minutes projections that I used, which were fr from Kevin Pelton, um, which is another reason why uh, you know I have the same issue with the Warriors that Kevin has. Uh, is because I used his minutes projections. So, you know, if you think that, I don't know, Clay is going to play more and you think Clay is going to be better than what his uh, most recent regular season sample suggests, then the Warriors are going to be better. Um, and so I think the other thing about um, all of these models is understanding their strengths and weaknesses and what their blind spots are and then being able to apply some of your own subjective context um, to it. Um, unless you're incorporating all the information <laughs> that you can, like Darko, and then you have less to be subjective about. But even, you know, I think Darko is not... Issue. Yeah, yeah runs, runs up against minutes. Just Kevin, well, to Kevin's projections, I'm curious, uh, do they add up to, you know, 82 minutes times 48... 82 games times 48 minutes? Do they I sum up? I think so. I think that's how he does it. 
which is another thing. Like, not every team plays the same number of minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is like uh, this is an issue. I don't, a bit of a, t a tangent here, but this is like an issue that in doing these projections, I think most of us use the same format that we take some kind of all-in-one metric, multiply it by minutes projection, and then uh, simulate the games. Krishna, is that correct as to your methodology? Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, actually, interestingly, one of the things uh, we did is uh, we ha like we have we used Arturo's. Uh, he has a Google sheet that has like a bunch of different men's projections from like Pelton. There's 538 and I think there's a few fantasy sites in there. And one of the things I noticed is like if you use different minutes projections, it really can change um, like the kind of I guess the rankings or like the win totals or something like that. Um, like, you know, to a decent amount, like to a degree that where you'd be maybe surprised, like, um, you know, maybe three or four wins or something like that can affect it. So, um, I think that's the other thing is like, it really kind of does depend on which, uh, minutes projections you're using, which are like, you know, a massive part of, uh, of this too. So. Yeah, well, I, what I was going to say is that, uh, you know, the, the sort of the, call it medium hanging fruit that seemingly none of us have done. And I don't think anyone, uh, I don't, I don't see anyone on, on Twitter doing something I've kicked around, but I've never bothered to do is like actually algorithmically model the minutes. Cause I, you know, if you take, uh, Pelton's been doing his minutes projections for a long time, but if you take those, the history of those projections, you're going to find that, I don't know, the average team has like, 15, 20% of their minutes coming from guys who are not currently on the roster. Um, and right now, I think uh, I certainly disregard that aspect. I think everyone, everyone else does too effectively. Um, and I think probably, probably shouldn't, is, that's incorrect. And the amount that, uh, um, you know, some of that is going to be totally random. It's like if Steph gets hurt or not. Some of that is going to be trades. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say you should model a Miles Turner trade. But you should maybe kind of model a Miles Turner trade, <laughs> um, and it's it is kind of modelable. Like if you know, there are certain factors that lead to a team having sort of those uh, those guys. Well, to tangent a tangent off of that that I think is worth touching on too, uh, Kasia, is that like those trades, some of those trades are going to be about tanking, right? And yeah. I don't think any of us. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but none of us has like a tanking factor built into our our uh, projections currently. Because like for for one, you don't. I mean, we think we have a pretty good idea of who's going to be tanking, right? But like we don't really know because there will be so there will be a team whose star player gets hurt and says, "Hey, maybe we should get into this Wembenyama race," you know, or you know, maybe if we don't get Wembenyama, maybe we'll get Scoot or one of the Thompson twins or whatever, like that. There will be a team that like is not currently looking like they're going to tank. That somebody gets hurt, and it's like, all right, maybe maybe we sell off some pieces. Um, and I mean, people have already been speculating that it's going to be my Bulls, which you know makes me sad because <laughs> they they just kind of rebuilt their team on the fly. It would be kind of a bummer if they had to to tear it all down again. Um, and I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they have the stomach for that. But uh, but there will be a team that does that, right? Like I, I feel relatively confident about that given just the stakes um and the fact that like if your star player gets hurt it, why not um you're gonna you're not gonna be that good anyway so you might as well sell what you have for assets and do the baseball hot stove thing you know um 
Well, I'll, I'll throw down the, the gauntlet and say one of us should actually try to model, model this. Uh, you know, I feel like you add a feature in, into your model of owns its own draft pick or something. Uh, <laughs> that'll like get you a decent amount of this. Uh, yeah, which is another reason the Bulls yeah. won't be the team that tanks because they only are top four protected. And so they yeah. have like, if they tank, they have like a, even if they are terrible, they have like a 50-50 shot of even keeping their pick. <laughs> Yeah, well, so I like a feature for that. Yeah, a feature with like owns its own pick, some amount of protection captured, and then multiply that by their win projection. So like you get sort of an interaction. Uh, so like a 67 win team that has owns its own pick, it's not going to tank. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, sort of capture which teams like, you know, kind of maybe are going to go for it. So like there's probably a decent amount of value there. Uh, and it's a little surprising that actually so many of us do these win projections and all, all, all in the same way. And I feel like we've put a bunch of work into it. None of us have done this. The minute yeah. model. Everybody's trying to build the build a better mousetrap that is like yeah. the actual one number like player metric. And nobody's trying to to <laughs> uh, find to improve the, the, you know, the stuff that we know is kind of a crapshoot. Uh, yeah. That, or we feel like it's a crapshoot, but to your point, some of it is modelable, or at the very least, modelable to the degree that you can get some juice out of it, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that, like, there are, you know, people have mental models too, right? So, like, some of this stuff is being captured just by, you know, uh, for, like, Vegas by people being like, I think that they're probably going to make that Miles Turner trade at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, like, people are looking at the Jazz and, like, I have the Jazz projected to win 36 games. There's no way the Jazz are winning 36 games because Danny Ainge will trade every last player on the roster if he has to to get them into the the twenty like the 20s and teens wins range. Um, like, there's just absolutely no I, way. Can I ask about that? Do you think they're, uh, they're going to do that? I know Ainge wants to, but, like, I feel like the Jazz have, like, an organizational culture of not, not doing that. Um, well, they like did, ownership. but they have a different owner now. Yeah, it all depends on the owner. Like, what does the owner want to do? So, and you think the fan base like will sort of tolerate it? I mean, what else are they going to do? They're in Salt Lake. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually thought of another example of so the Rockets and Thunder. Um, I believe that so the Thunder owned pick swaps with the Rockets, correct? Or is that over? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't have that information stored in I my think, head. <laughs> so I know from the Westbrook trade. They had, uh, I think they had like picks and pick swaps, right? So that's a, a weird situation where I think the Rockets don't own some of their picks, but they or they might have pick swaps or they're just straight up giving them to Thunder. Hmm. And they're both like pretty bad. So you might have some scenario, but that's probably like you probably won't get too many scenarios like that. I think not for this year. I'm looking at the real GM tracker. It looks like this year. The Thunder own the Clippers pick, the Dallas second rounder, the Washington second round. Oh no, uh, yeah, and that's it. The Houston pick comes next year. Oh, okay. Is it a pick swap though? Uh, because that's important too. Although not for those two teams, I guess. No, they're both going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's one. It's one to four protected for 2024. Actually, that's not true. It is uh, a big deal because, like, if I guess if you get the number one pick, yeah. Yeah, that that's a yeah, that's a huge deal. If you're at like one and you're swapping with even three or four this year, uh, yeah, um, Scoot or Wemby. Yeah, I mean whoever gets uh, Wembenyama, it's gonna be a franchise changer, barring you know knock on wood, uh, any kind of health issues. But 
I I'm much less concerned about him because of how he moves and like how much nice good weight he's already been able to put on than I was about Chet. Um, Chet just kind of runs hunched over. Uh, he's like seems incapable of gaining weight. Um, he's like already 20 or 21. I don't know. Uh, and you know, has had acts. It's not like he's, it's not like the, like Giannis where he didn't have access to like great nutrition growing up because before he got into like pro programs, because he was, you know, the famous stories, he was like selling things on the street with his family. Like they were struggling and then he gets like, proper nutrition and uh, kind of takes off and he keeps growing and gets jacked. <laughs> um, but thank you uh, to Suki Hobson, the trainer over there at, uh, for the bucks. But like Chet's not like that guy. And I just, I was immediately worried about his body and a lot of people got mad at me cause they were like, yeah, you're just saying that cause he's skinny. And I was like, no, it's not just cause he's skinny. It's like, he's a hard gainer and he, he, he doesn't run like in a way that gives me confidence about his body not breaking down and like him stepping on LeBron's foot is like a freak thing. I, that, that stuff happens, but like, I don't know. I'm not that worried about Wemby. I think he's going to be one of those guys like Kareem that plays forever and like just ages really well. Uh, yeah. So do you guys actually want to go kind of your top five Vegas over unders, I guess. Um, so, (sighs) uh, yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if I have uh, my projections up, bumped up against Vegas. Let me see if I uh, can pull pull it up in a way that I can do that real quick. Um, but you guys can keep talking. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, do this in the background. Uh, yeah, Custa, do you want to go? I'm, try- I'm doing the same thing. Uh... <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I think I just uh, pulled that question on both of us that uh, <laughs> without any of us being prepared. Um yeah, so I guess I'll I'll go first. Um, actually, I'm not. I don't. Okay, so I'm like mentally like. I'm I'm ready to go. To calculate this in my head, but like I think the one team that we're all uh, over on is the Pelicans. Correct. Yeah. Um, What's the Pelicans over under? Uh, 44.5. Yeah, I'm over on them. Not. I'm actually not over on them by a lot, but I'm I'm over on them. Yeah. So for our. Uh, so for LeBron, we for our LeBron model, which um, I'm actually I, I guess I'll talk about it briefly is uh, essentially I did what you kind of mentioned earlier, where I took the previous three seasons and predicted the next season um, and the, you know, and with an XG boost model. So the values actually come out pretty nice and compressed and stuff. So um, and it does improve the performance in terms of like predicting the next year's LeBron. So, uh, yeah, so for that version, uh, we got the Pelicans at 50 wins. And then our other metric, which um, I've been kind of working on over, admittedly, a very short time. <laughs> um, okay, it's, <laughs> I, I've been calling it the rushed BBI plus minus because, so the goal is to eventually have BBI plus minus. This is like a very... Uh, first pass version that I wanted to do just to have some uh, a different set of projections out that maybe were a little more closer to Vegas, which um, these projections were, but I didn't have the chance yet to kind of compress them down. So um, this BBI plus minus version has the Pelicans at 55 wins. But again, 
the these win projections aren't at all compressed. So we have like the Bucks at 63 and the Rockets at 13, which <laughs> obviously is not going to happen. Um, the interesting thing with like projections like this is like, so if you look at the actual standings, like you probably do get teams like you obviously get teams at like 60 wins and um like multiple over 50 and then you might have some under 20 or something but like you can if you're attempting to like predict standings you never want to actually have your range that large because you can never get which teams are going to be at the top um right or the teams at the bottom right so you want to have like a more compressed win projections um so yeah anyways uh a bit of a tangent there but yeah so BBI plus Maya says the Pelicans at 55 and they are fourth overall for us in BBI plus minus and in LeBron as well. So yeah, we're like super high on the Pelicans. I think um, we have like, so BBI plus mine is in love with Jose and Herb Jones. So, and of course they got Zion coming back. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think they played at like a plus six net rating for like the last 30 games last year or something, right? They were good. Um, let me check that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what does Darko have on them? Uh, Darko's at 40, 50 wins, uh, 49, oh, yeah. 0.6, you know, essentially 50 wins. Um, so yeah, they're the fifth biggest overperformer uh, for Darko. Um, again, I think fairly similar reasons. Uh, okay, so who's your fourth? <laughs> uh, the fourth uh, and maybe the third are going to be teams that maybe would benefit from that tanking feature that we talked about. Uh, number four is the Thunder, uh, who I've got at 30 wins uh, versus um, 30, 31 wins. Uh, um, so you know, I've got uh, that's a essentially a seven win over performance. Um, I'll need to dig into uh, into what's driving that. Some of that is preseason, but most of it is just like the model kind of just doesn't think they're quite as bad uh, as as Vegas does. And th this happens, I would say, generally with a lot of projection systems. A projection system typically is going to be somewhat. A lot of projection systems are more regressed uh, um, than you might expect, like, I think Darko essentially will never project a team for like 22 wins. Um, and I think Vegas is correctly building in a decent amount of tanking uh, into that Thunder number. And I think it's building that in uh, to a lot of those low end numbers. Um, I haven't drawn the bell curve, but I bet you there are more, sort of a disproportionately large number of like numbers in the low 20s and numbers in like the high 50s on the wind projections uh, because of this tanking effect. Yeah, the the tanking effect is, so you asked what, what my biggest gaps between Vegas and all three of my, the very biggest ones are all tanking teams. Like yeah. I have the Jazz, they're my number one team that if they were gonna just play it straight up would over would overperform and hit their over. Um, I don't expect them to do that. I expect them to trade Mike Conley, who my model really likes, um, which doesn't totally match my eye test. I think he's starting to slow down physically, and I think he was probably a big beneficiary of playing with Rudy Gobert. Um, uh, yeah, so BBI plus minus uh, really loved Conley last year, and I also was kind of a little confused with that. 
about yeah. because um, I think um, I think EPM also was a pretty was pretty high on Conley. Um, it had I him think, like the fourth best player in the NBA for most of the season. Okay. Yeah. So and I, he's clearly not that right. Like right. I think everybody kind of understands that. Um, but like I think they'll trade him because I think he's still solid enough that he will help you win games if if you're uh, if you let him. <laughs> so so maybe either they'll trade him or they'll send him home and be like you know, we'll find a home for you at the trade deadline or something. Um, and then the Pacers I have is an overperformer and I have the Spurs as an overperformer. Um, ironically, I don't have the, the Thunder. I have them pretty close to their, their Vegas number. Um, interestingly, I, I mean, that's just, uh, which is just a little weird, but, uh, you know, obviously different values uh, come into play. Um, but my, of the non-tanking teams, my, my, best overperformer is the Knicks. Um, I think a lot of that has is down to uh, my model, like many other models, really likes Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, and uh, it likes um, Jalen Brunson okay, like pretty a pretty good amount. And they added Brunson without really giving anything up. So they added two good players and didn't really lose anybody meaningful. Um, and their Vegas over-under is basically kind of like the same place that they're, they landed wins-wise last year. Um, and so, um, but, uh, also Tibbs needs to play, um, Emmanuel quickly more because, yeah. uh, he's very good. All of the numbers say so him and Obi Toppin both are, are good players and, uh, Thibodeau refuses to play them, uh, commensurate with their goodness. Yeah. Quickly in particular, it's one of these guys, I, you know, I, Darko has these longevity projections just to see how long a guy's career is going to be and quickly always like shows up shockingly high thinks he's going to play until he's like late late 30s so it seems like he should probably be playing yeah i mean he's a good shooter i think that's one of the signals that for early players i remember you saying for the, those longevity models that being a good shooter is one of the things that yeah um darko like between free throw percentage volume of threes and uh and um three point percentage that if you're a good shooter uh it thinks you're going to play for a long time which you know matches conventional wisdom it makes sense shooting ages uh about as well as any skill yeah yep um yeah so quickly actually showed up really well in bbi plus minus two so like i think he was like top 30 uh that's something that stuck out to me was the top 30 or top 20 or something uh, something like that so yeah that model uh i think both bbi plus minus and and lebron uh really like the uh or, you know, kind of relatively speaking, like the Knicks. Um, the one team that was kind of, so there are two teams actually that diverge uh, a massive amount for LeBron and some of the other models as well versus BBI plus minus. So BBI plus minus actually really likes Nets, which is unusual because LeBron hates the Nets. I think 538 hates the Nets. I think Pelton's projection had the Nets like, what, seventh or eighth or something like that. I think. Kevin, I think your model also was not that high on the Nets. Um, um, I think yeah, they, actually. Yeah, I think they like wins, so they like the Nets okay. It likes the Nets okay because, like I said, my I mean my values are fairly compressed with the exception of the Celtics, who are just an outlier. Um, they're outlier good. Uh, I have them at fifty-six and a half wins. Um, let me see where are the Nets. I don't have this sorted by uh by name. Seven wins. Forty-seven point one. So that's it's not uh, it's not 
terribly far off their Vegas line. I think their Vegas line is like 50 and a half. Um, but it's it's one of the the bigger gaps uh, on the negative end. Uh, well, I guess not one of the bigger gaps. It's the 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 biggest gap for me on the negative side is the the Blazers. My model thinks the Blazers stink. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, I so predictive LeBron had the Nets at 40 wins, and BBI plus minus had them at 58. So split the baby. There you go. There you're at. You're at Vegas. <laughs> and I think we end up somewhere right in the in the right ballpark. Uh, the other team is the Clippers. So BBI plus minus had them at 50 wins and kind of likes them more relative to, uh, I think, Vegas, which um, has them at 52.5. So pretty close. But LeBron just does not like the Clippers at, uh, wow, 40 wins. Also tied with the Nets, which is down. Yeah. So, 40 wins, is that's low. I mean, people, uh, people were, you know, I had Clippers fans, uh, you know, a little annoyed with me because I think, where did I have the clips? Uh, I have them. They're one of my biggest underperformers relative to Vegas. They're, uh, I had them at 45 and, you know, Vegas, I think has them at 52 and a half, uh, unless that's shifted at all. Um, the last I pulled it in, I, I realized that I had pulled it into my own spreadsheet that I have here. I just had hidden this, the columns. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, um, basically, the projected values that I have, they like Kawhi. I think he's like the second best player in the league. Um, it likes Paul George. It, it kind of likes Zubac, thinks he's good. Uh, but it kind of thinks the rest of their team is pretty mediocre. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that their depth is better than 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 that. But, I, you know, we were just talking about the Knicks in terms of why, why I think they're going to overperform. And I actually agree with the model that they're probably overperform. Uh, they got Hartenstein. Uh, and um, the is it Hartenstein or Hartenstein? Anyways, um, they got him and the Clippers lost him. And their replacement is, I think, Moses Brown, who he's fine, but he's not as good as Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, and so... I think that's part of uh, what's going on, what's going on there. Um, and uh, the model also really doesn't think that John Wall is any good anymore. Um, so that's another part of it. Very sad. Yeah, it looks like, uh, Costa, you also have the Clippers at, uh, seems like one of the bigger underperformers for non-tanking teams. Is that correct? Yeah, I have the Clippers five wins below their projection. Um, yeah, I mean they're they're sixth on that list. Uh, you know, um, I think for fairly unremarkable reasons, just sort of thinks they're uh, they've lost a lot of guys, um, lost a lot of sort of the depth pieces. Um, last year, I think Darko was actually super high on them. Uh, pretty sure they underperformed their Vegas number, so. Uh, We'll see. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the secret to the other secret to all these win projections, I think as listeners probably know is, uh, it's all about depth. Um, uh, that's not the same thing, you know, as what you want for, for like winning the title, but like the depth, the difference between like how many minutes you give to like minus two guys is, is like so huge. Um, yeah. The, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that makes the Celtics such an outlier is like they get all of their minutes go to players that, at least in my case, my model thinks are uh, either slight plus or like heavy plus players, um, with the exception of like Sam Hauser, who I think Pelton had projected for like 800 minutes or something like that. And I just 
the sample on him is so limited that he's pretty mean regressed uh, to death in in my model. Um, so it doesn't really think he's super good. But uh, I keep hearing things from Celtics uh, state media that they they really they really like Hauser. So maybe he is good. I don't know. Or it could be propaganda. Um, I don't know. Okay, so the other team I'm noticing in Cust is, I think this might be the biggest underperformer for non. But we kind of hit on them earlier. Was the Bucks? Yeah. Uh, for non tanking teams. Um, interestingly, so, so my they brother, don't have depth. Yeah, they, they well, have no yeah. depth. My brother has been trying to tell me that the Bucks are going to be like in the seventh spot um, in the plan. Um, so I'm I don't like, think that, but I, they, <laughs> they are underrated in terms of like how little depth that they have. They like they have a good core four guys, but um, they're outside of the outside of Giannis, Drew, Middleton, and Brook Lopez. It's kind of slim pickings over there. Yeah, it is. I I think I, I, that's why I was kind of surprised. So like both of our uh, both LeBron and predictive and sorry. Predictive LeBron and BBI plus minus actually really like the Bucks, and I was kind of surprised by that because um, their depth is just not very good. And and of course they're, I guess this is where the minutes projections really make a difference because if you have Middleton playing, you know, like how many minutes you have Middleton playing for the season, it's going to make a big difference because he's I think projected to miss like. Uh, the first 10 games or something like that. So if you're not accounting for that, that could be one reason um, that, you know, the Bucks are a little higher or, you know. Yeah, I, I've got Middleton out. Um, and then they were also, they got somewhat uh, really hurt by the preseason results. Yeah, their preseason results are were, were not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were horrible. Um, interestingly, uh, so in BBI plus minus, the one name that really jumped out to me was like Drew being top five. The, uh, all the RAPM models have always loved uh, Drew, I think, because his defense is so good and his, right. his offense is, you know, he can still score 20 points a game and not do it horribly inefficiently. And then you pair that with like some of the best perimeter defense in the league. It, it's a valuable player. It's like, what if Alex Caruso, but actually good at offense? <laughs> right. Um, I, yeah, I like that kind of surprised me kind of, but not really, because I think like if you look at any impact metric, Drew's always loved for, you know, and, and again, for like the reasons you stated, a uh, great two way player. Um, yeah, so, I think, yeah, I think we saw some of the limitations of, of Drew, um, in the playoffs when Middleton went out because Drew as a third option, very good Drew, when you're asking him to do you know second option stuff not so good um so uh and he has a little bit of the of ironically the eric bledsoe thing of like he turtles a little bit offensively in the playoffs um but it doesn't totally matter because his defense is so good um and i mean he's fortunate that he's on the bucks <laughs> yeah right so it becomes less of a problem yeah so um Let's see. Were there any other over/unders that uh, you guys wanted to hit on? Uh, well, I wanted to mention the Kings, uh, who is Darko's number one overperformer. I'm curious where you guys are at. Darko is the Kings nine wins above, which is a fairly that, that's one of the highest numbers I've ever seen. Oh, wow. uh, let's see. I have the Kings as a pretty solid over. I have them at 
three, basically three and a half wins uh, over their 33 and a half win projections. I have them at basically 37 wins. It's 36.9, but, you know, whatever, round up. Yeah, so uh, let's see. Darko, or sorry, uh, BBI plus minus has the Kings at 39 and LeBron had them at 36. So, um, and what was Vegas over under? was like 33 and a half. So, yeah, yeah. over by three and a half or six, so depending. Yeah. yeah, so everyone's sort of squarely over. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll have to dig into why exactly Darko's like so, so on the high end. A lot of it is preseason, uh, and they were a decent beneficiary um, from that adjustment I made today to add in, uh, to factor in who, which players played in the preseason games. Yeah, I was going to say, the, I have the Rockets as a, as a okay-sized over, like around the same as what I have the Kings, but when I was just looking at their, um, what my, just my numbers before the preseason adjustment said, it thought they were the worst team in the league, but then they played okay. well in the preseason. So it's like, oh, they're, you know, they're overperforming expectations in that limited sample, but they were overperforming by such a large degree that it bumped, bumped them from like a minus eight, I think is what I had them projected at to like a minus five and a half. Which yeah. is uh, obviously a massive difference, uh, and take so. But I mean, I don't know. They're not necessarily incentivized to try to win those extra three and a half games. So you know that that would be one that maybe I would stay away from. Although I heard some weird rumblings on a podcast. I can't even remember which one. That uh, Silas might be getting pressure that he needs to start winning, which like would be perfect uh, Tillman stuff <laughs> to yeah. to pressure the coach to win in like the greatest draft maybe ever. Um, no, yeah, I, I, the Rockets uh, stood out to me as well, and I, again, I'm very wary of them given the, the tanking situ- uh, potential. But Tillman does sort of ha- have the—he's a weird guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would expect there they'll be one of those teams that are tanking. So I, I can't imagine uh, they the over. Um, I, I guess the big question is like how much, like. Like, is the tanking going to be your normal level this year? Or are we going to get teams under, like, 20 wins this year? Yeah, I mean, the thing to remember with the tanking, and this, I I was definitely wrong about this with the play-in game, but, like, are we sure if Tillman isn't, like, the 11 seed, he's not going to, like, demand that they trade a bunch to, like, go for the play-in game? Try to get that one-game one uh, play-in revenue. You know, the teams were doing that last year. I mean, uh, we saw it with the King. The King did it. Yeah, I mean Tillman is like always cash poor, so it's definitely a possibility. He's constantly like uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul, uh, maybe literally, given his family's <laughs> background. Well, I mean, it's like it's like cash poor, but it's also I, I don't I think the owners just like like to say I made the playoffs. I mean, I don't know, I don't exactly. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys they they buy teams because they're competitive in the first yeah. place. So, um, but yeah. Uh, I, I'm probably being too anti-Tillman specifically and too anti-owner in general, but that's that's my uh, that's my calling card. That's what people know me for. So, yeah, I, I think like I guess I was just kind of curious if like more teams are going to be tanking worse this year. I think so. It's me a bit. I think that that's the reputation. Although again, it's a little zero sum, and I get I am wondering if some of these teams are going to like at the halfway point are going to be like, well, shit, like I was trying to win 17 games, but I'm on pace for 26 and like a ton of other teams are tanking worse. I guess I'll just go for the play in game. Yeah. It's 
I think that's going to be the interesting piece. That's the opposite effect of what I was thinking, where like a team might be. So my example that I was thinking of was a Charlotte Hornets, who um, actually I'm kind of curious if they uh, lost any wins from the preseason, Kostya, in your projection. They did, yes. They were a big loser. Yeah, because they were horrible in the preseason. Yeah. And they, um, yeah, they just seem awful in the preseason. So I'm just kind of curious if they're one. And Lamelo's now out for a while, I think. And um, oh, I might need to update my the the minutes projections that I have then because I don't know if uh, Kevin was accounting for that when he. <laughs> I don't know which version of the minutes I I I got and used. Yeah. I haven't looked at them really. I just kind of. Uh, absorbed them into R via the CSV that I downloaded and went with God. <laughs> I think when did the Lamello injury happen? It happened like recently, right? So I think would have, yeah, it might not be in there. Um, might not be reflected. Uh, man, uh, I'm going to have to update, update these and then everybody's going to, all the people on Twitter are going to be like, you keep changing the numbers because you're getting bad feedback. And I'm like, no, it's about minutes. Uh. Nobody wants to hear that, especially when they I've been getting ragged on for my warrior stuff that all the warriors Twitter people uh, are finding all of the the projections that have them under uh, and putting hashtag we believe on it. Uh, So I'm sure they will be circling back to cold cold takes expose me, despite the fact that directly underneath my wins projection tweet, I have a thing I have a two tweets that say thing player uh, teams that I'm subjectively higher and teams that I'm subjectively lower on and the warriors are in the teams I'm subjectively higher on. Cause I, I know the limitations of my, my data that I used. Yeah. <sighs> Kevin, but, pa- Kevin Pelton said that too. Like, I feel like we're all saying that like, yeah, we're <laughs> all the art. We know. <laughs> yeah. And actually I remember Zach Lowe mentioned that on a podcast with, uh, I think was it Howard? He was talking to like even some team, you know, teams that have, models were low on the warriors too so like it's not just us it seems to be like everybody uh, at least in terms of like the analytic you know models and stuff yeah um so yeah it's it's uh i, I guess costa kind of sticks out there <laughs> from yeah in, but in even he's like, even he's slightly under the the vegas number but yeah. it, it might be that they are an under uh but it doesn't matter because they'll still be good in the playoffs and dangerous probably yeah unless uh, you know Draymond uh, punching Jordan Poole just blows up the chemistry of the team and ruins everything. In which case, I'll look, you know, we'll all look right for the wrong reasons, which is always fun. <laughs> I think the other big thing is like the yeah. the Wiseman minutes too. Um, so like basically, I think in all of our metrics, he's just a severe, massive negative. So depending on how many minutes you have him playing, I think that could probably make a decent size difference. Yeah. Well, also he's just like taking whenever he plays, he's taking minutes from actually good players like Draymond and uh, Looney. So you know, all of this stuff is to a certain extent zero sum. And if you're trying to develop, you know, um, Wiseman, even Moody and um, and Kaminga, I think they're good prospects, but like. I don't know that those guys are going to be super good, impactful players next season. Um, and they're replacing, you know, uh, 
Otto Porter, who was like a, a solid pro who is a veteran and, you know, has all the benefits that come with that. Um, and uh, uh, Bielitsa, who was not terrible for them last year. Um, like, I don't know. They're, they're, they're replacing a lot of uh, veteran minutes with younger guy minutes, which I think might be feeding some of this stuff, too, because younger guys just typically aren't as good unless they're like absolute superstars, which I don't think Kaminga or Moody really are yet. I don't even know Dark- what I have those guys rated as, to be honest. I'm just kind of speaking more. Darko kind of likes Moody. thinks he's, uh, you know, almost average. That's pretty good. Interesting. Interesting. So is that from, so it, I, I guess, yeah. So he didn't play much in the postseason. So was he, was it kind of just like a steady increase for him or something like that? Uh, I pull up. Yeah. Yeah, basically. I don't. Know, I don't really know what's driving it. Um, likes his box score numbers. Hmm. Need to do a deeper dive. I just noticed that at all. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting because I don't think he played like he didn't play that much in the playoffs. Um, yeah. Despite <laughs> despite some Warriors fans maybe trying to argue that their players got good experience in the playoffs, which uh, they're rookies. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. They got, I mean, they got a little experience, and they got to be in the environment and all that stuff. I think helps a little bit, but uh, you know, I don't know how to model that. You know. Yeah, um, that would be an interesting thing to model, kind of like, um, I, actually, in general, like the whole playoffs is... was on a team that was in the playoffs, didn't play very much. Does that confer any kind of boost, just for <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what it's like? Modeling any any kind of like player development stuff is functionally impossible since you got the coach proxy issue of like the co- does the player play is so, so much a function of the coach's evaluation of him mm-hmm. disentangling those factors is like impossible. If you can yeah. do it, like you know, great. Yeah, a lot I of the know. a lot of the like metrics that look at like I mean a lot of like even my like the the base uh, box score component of the metric I was using uses games you know percent of games started um some people use minutes per game like as a stand in there uh, i found that games started percentage much like jacob did when he did pipm he found that uh, we both found that uh, game uh, started percentage is is better uh than minutes per game um and it kind of the effect of uh starting percentage um swallows uh, minutes per game uh, to a large extent, but a lot of m- models and metrics do include minutes per game as a as a um, uh, a proxy for like uh, goodness uh, because most coaches are not uh, they they know <laughs> what they're doing uh, broadly speaking. But there are some coaches that are like you know just refuse to play young guys. I'm looking at Tom Thibodeau, <laughs> and it's just like that's just like a phil- philosophically a, a thing of his. And it's like if you have a player that's on a Tom Thibodeau, a young player that's on a Tom Thibodeau coach team, the threshold for that player getting minutes um, is much higher than, uh, you know, some other players uh, on other teams with different coaches, Um, which I guess is probably like the nicest thing I can say about RJ Barrett, because I'm generally not a huge fan. Um, But he, Thibodeau trusts him and plays him a lot, despite how young he is. Yeah, Barrett's kind of interesting because our matchup difficulty stats and like our defense. So he like guards a lot of the best players on opposing teams. So he's kind of like what you like. He takes on a big role on defense. Mm -hmm. And I think he probably is a decent defender. But 
um, yeah, like if you're looking at any kind of like whether it's your metric or LeBron or uh, I'm sure Darko too, he's um, yeah, not as not as good as. <laughs> yeah, I, I his reputation online is uh, on Twitter yeah. in particular is is pretty high for me relative to like how good I actually think he is. But maybe I'm just missing something. Uh, well, I, I think it is like he does take on like difficult matchups in terms of like who he guards. So I don't know what that means in terms of like your future. And and but also kind of like how important is um, like taking on difficult matchups and guarding on ball versus off ball defense. Um, I think big, yeah. My my pet theory. I don't have data to back this up yet, <laughs> but uh, my pet theory is that uh, on ball defense matters more in the playoffs um, yeah. and uh, less so in the regular season because teams do their you know just they do run the offense um, in the regular season. Uh, and so you get a lot more off ball stuff. Whereas in the playoffs teams do a lot more like specifically head hunting players. And if you're good on ball team or even solid on ball teams are less inclined to head hunt you um, in the playoffs. So, uh, and teams just run a lot more isolation that I, I do have data for. You can just go look at um, compare percentages of isolation um, on the NBA stats website and like, I don't love synergy data a lot of the time, but just like in broad strokes of, in terms of like percentage of play types, you know, that stuff is, you know, you can trust that at least to a large degree um, directionally. And like, it, I think the last I looked at it, like even just for last year, I think the percentage of isolation uh, play types basically doubles <laughs> in the play uh, in the playoffs. So Teams run more iso. The 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 other effect is just a, to extend defense is a especially off ball defense is an effort thing and like focus thing. Uh, yeah. that's you're more locked good. in in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we've kind of covered all of our over unders here. Um, any anything anybody else wants to add or anything <laughs> you guys want to discuss or? Uh, I think the Blazers stink. I thought that subjectively before I ran my numbers and my numbers really hate them. It's my, uh, and I, they're trying to win. So I, I, I uh, don't think that there's any danger of, um, you know, them trying to tank. Uh, and, but they, the number is, you know, just, they, it looks like they stink and uh, I would, I would bang their under cause uh, I don't think they're good. I didn't think they were good. I think maybe five or six years ago, that might've been a Western conference playoff team. Uh, but both conferences, the whole league is way better. Dame's coming off of a pretty bad injury. Um, I think they stink, uh, bang there under. Yeah. Interestingly. Uh, so it looks like Darko has the, uh, Blazers at 32 wins, which is exactly, uh, our total on LeBron and BBI plus minus has them at 35, which I think would be the under for, uh, yeah, their their over under was like thirty nine and a half the last I saw it. I don't know if it's moved down at all, um, but it should because they stink. Um. Yeah. Oh, am I looking at the wrong team? Yeah. It's. Oh no, it looks like it's down to thirty two now. Oh no, sorry. That's. Uh, <laughs> no, that's. Uh, that's Costia's number. Um. Yeah. What is their Vegas over under? Yeah, it's thirty nine and a half. Yep. Yeah, they're um, they're they're not that good. They they stink. Um. Bang their under. <laughs> the other team that you have to bang the under on is Lakers at 45 and a half, where I, yeah. 
I think it's been like I, I heard the stat somewhere where it's like eight of the last ten years the Lakers have gone under, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. Doesn't surprise me. I mean, Lakers fan loves Lakers fans love to bet the over on the Lakers, and um, also they just people love betting the over for LeBron because they assume that he's going to be LeBron again. Um, and the interesting thing in in like not in the compressed projected version of uh, for this year of my of my metric last year my metric thought LeBron was like in the top fifty <laughs> players. Um, the prior year he was seventh, and then last year he was fiftieth. Um, so, if you believe uh, uh-huh. if, if you believe that metric, he's are the, the decline has already started. <laughs> but I, I'm not quite uh, confident that it's there because like smarter metrics like uh, EPM uh, d- don't quite think that, <laughs> and Darko doesn't think that. Like Darko, I mean Darko is still giving LeBron credit for his body of work for sure. Um, but if he was like falling off that massively, I think it would have showed up more in Darko uh, than it has. Um, yeah, I think predictive LeBron had him in the top 10. So, uh, and yeah. that's I don't, I don't buy my metric on that one. I, I, I looked at that and I was like, is there a bug in my code? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, it was so far off, but he's good in like all of his like dominant years. He's good. And he was top seven the year before. So it wasn't like he, the metric hated him all the time. It was just last year. I think, I think, uh, Something about his on-off stuff or whatever just uh, was not was not great, and because it's not there's no adjustment for collinearity in like a RAPM style way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so interestingly, LeBron is actually uh, it's got to be one of the highest on the Lakers. So it's still under the Vegas over. It's at 42 wins. Yeah, but I think that's got to be one of the highest um, probably in any of the models. And honestly, like if you were setting a real over under, like not not something outrageously uh, high, something like, you know, somewhere, something, something somewhere in the range of like 40 to 42 wins probably makes I mean, maybe even less than that, honestly. But uh, something like that probably makes sense as opposed to uh, what is it? It's 45 and a half. Wow. Um but like what what I think what's the big thing with the Lakers is like again, how many minutes do you think uh, LeBron and AD are going to play? Because I think that makes a huge difference depending. Yeah, of course. On minutes projections you use. Yeah, uh, no, I mean if they're if their best players play play more than we think, then they'll be better. I mean that's that's the caveat I think for all of all of these um, uh, projections is uh, these are only as good as the minutes projections, and that is. Uh, more guesswork than you'd like. Uh, yeah. So, um, as always, take them with a grain of salt. Uh, and if they were perfect, if these projections were perfectly predictive, then the season wouldn't be very much fun. Uh, sports wouldn't be fun if we didn't have variance against our expectations. It'd be very boring. So, um, take the projections for what they are. And enjoy actually watching uh, all of us number nerds uh, look bad because <laughs> we're going to be wrong. All, all of these numbers are going to be wrong pretty much. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, anything... to be less wrong is the goal. <laughs> that's yeah, <laughs> that's definitely the goal to be less wrong. Um, and to somewhat, I, I guess you kind of want to somewhere somewhere be in the range of Vegas's wind totals. 
Uh, yeah, if you're too far off Vegas, and maybe you've got a problem. But uh, unless it's the Blazers, because the Blazers stink, bang the under. <laughs> <laughs> Blazers fans are gonna hate me after this podcast. Yeah, I've, I've never, I've never done anything to make Blazers fans mad before, but uh, I just don't think their team's any good this year. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think. Yeah, they're, they're not very good. But I, I think, I still think they could end up in the play somewhere in the plan. Because I just think the team. So I think there. So worth- many teams are tanking, maybe, but I don't know. I think there are enough teams that are going for it that I just, I, I still, I just don't think they're very good. Like, I think Sacramento's better. Probably the Lakers better, but like that's it. In that, yeah. and then obviously the like the top nine teams. But then like, so if you if you're looking at like the Rockets, the Thunder, the Jazz, and the Spurs, those teams are all very committed to tanking, and the Blazers aren't. So. Um, and actually what would be interesting is, and you do this when running it through like a schedule, but like if you're in a division, so the Blazers are, let's see, are they in a division where they're going to play more games against, uh, the, like, they'll be playing, they play, they're in the same division as the Thunder, right? So they'll be playing them. They're going to be tanking. All right. That's going to do it for our 2023 win predictions debate. Um, Kostya, um, what, where can we follow you on social media? What do you have to plug? Uh, I'm at kmedved uh, on Twitter, and you can go to darko.app to see Darko. All right. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for the discussion. Kevin, uh, where can we find you on Twitter, and what do you got to plug? Um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, NBA Couchside. Because uh, I have a you know very dumb sense of humor, <laughs> I came up with that like uh, 14 years ago. Um, and you can uh, listen to me talk about the Bulls if that's something that you're interested in, at uh, or uh, um, on any podcast app at Dennis Podman uh, is the name of my uh, podcast. All right, so uh, if you want to go follow these guys, obviously uh, a wealth of basketball information, uh, everything from all-in-one stats, win predictions, a whole lot of stuff. Uh, That's going to do it for this episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.